Good morning. Before I um, share the message that God laid upon my heart, I want to give an update on James. James contacted me last night, and he said that he's actually not on that trip that we had talked about. Um, his bags were all packed. They were all ready to go, and the translator actually got, had an accident. And so just lift up uh, the team there in Bogota and keep them in, in your prayers, especially for the translator, that he would continue to heal from his accident, and that as James and the team continue to find, you know, if find a new date possibly to go. So it was a disappointing time for James as I, as I talked to him. You could just tell it's so something that he dreamed about and he was, you know, he was working on it for a while and then to have it fall apart the last minute was, was hard. So pray for James, for the team, uh, that, their will, that God's will would be done through that. What is a council service? What do you expect from a council sermon? Many of you here this morning have had many council sermons. We have two a year. Is it a sermon that you fear? Or maybe it's a sermon you anticipate? Maybe you picture going through the guidelines from beginning to end and making sure we are following them to the best of our ability. Why do we have a council service? See, these are all the questions that were going around in my head as I prepared for this, and I actually asked some of you those same questions. But the reason we have a council service, I want to answer that question first, and let's go to 1 Corinthians 11. And we'll probably go here for our communion service. 1 Corinthians 11 is where we get our communion service from. I'm more interested this morning in verses 27, 20, and 29. 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 27 says, Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. In these three short verses, Paul lays out the consequences of, while partaking in the communion service unworthily. Clearly, he says, the body and blood of the Lord will be upon our hands. And we will bring damnation or judgment upon ourselves by partaking in the communion service unworthily. That's why we're here this morning. So how do we avoid this? How do we avoid unworthy partaking? That's in verse 28. But let a man examine himself. It's through examination. It's through looking within and that is why we are here this morning, to look within, to have God look within us, to make sure that we do not partake unworthily, and to make sure that our hearts are right before God. And we have put things in place to check our own selves. All right, we talked about those council papers, the question, do you have peace with God and your fellow man? You know, what is your relationship with God? Is it open? Is there easy flow of communication? Do we have friendly relations with others? Question number two, is it your desire to live by and uphold the doctrines of Jesus Christ and his church? John 14, 15, if you love me, this is Jesus talking, if you love me, keep my commandments. Is it your desire to live by and uphold the doctrines of Jesus Christ and his church? And the last one, are you planning to participate in the communion service? Communion, I believe, brings the church closer together. I believe it's a sacred service. Are you looking forward to that? Now, this is not an exhaustive list if we are to examine ourselves fully. This is not 
all the questions that we maybe could or should be asking, but it does give a glimpse into the condition of our hearts. And the purpose this morning is not to nitpick and to find fault with each other, because there would be some there to find, but rather the purpose this morning is to look within and to allow God to search our hearts, our lives, that we may, in purity and a clean conscience, enjoy the communion service. So for our text this morning, turn with me to Psalm 139. Psalm 139 is a psalm of David. It's a prayer. And they would have sung this psalm. But this is David's prayer to God. And I believe it can be our prayer as well, and I hope it is. But Psalm 139 is simply David telling God who he is and what he has done. And although God knows all that, he gets praise, he gets glory when his children tell him who he is and tell him what he has done. Just like after we do something well and someone says, good job, well, yes, we know that, but yet that still brings praise. It feels good, and God is no different. And it's one of the many ways that we can praise God by simply telling God who he is. And that's what Psalm 139 is. Psalm 139 may be the clearest picture that we have of the relationship between David and God. This relationship between them is deep. It's a meaningful relationship. It's open. It's a real relationship. It's precious and valued by both parties, God and David. And we know that David was a man after God's own heart. And so if we too want to be men and women after God's own heart, our relationship, I believe, should mimic that of David and God. And that's what Psalm 139 is. And I hope as we go through this psalm that we can apply it to our lives and therefore have a relationship like David and God had. Three points this morning from Psalm 139. God's omniscience, God's omnipresence, and then how we apply those two. Verses 1 through 6 speak of God's omniscience and how God knows all things. Let's read verses 1 through 6. Psalm 139, verse 1. O Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. Thou knowest my downsitting and my uprising. Thou understandest my thought afar off. Thou compassest my way and my lying down, and art acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word in my tongue, but lo, O Lord, thou knowest it altogether. Thou hast beset me behind and before, and thy hand and laid thine hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot obtain unto it. These verses are spoken in the past tense. God has already searched us. God has already known us. He has already understood our thoughts, and he has already surrounded our pathways. This is past tense. We're not asking God to do this. He already has done this. And all that we are, and all that we do, and all that we think, all that we say is laid bare before God. He knows it all. He sees you when you sit. He sees you when you stand. He sees when you lie down. God knows our life's journey. He knows your battles, your fears, and your anxieties. God goes before us, and he comes behind us. And God's hand is laid upon our life. A.W. Tozer, when speaking of the omniscience of God, says, Because God knows all things perfectly, he knows no thing better than any other thing, but all things equally well. He never discovers anything. He is never surprised, never amazed. As humans, we are constantly learning. 
Albert Einstein has said, the day you stop learning is the day you die. We're always learning something. We're discovering something. New discoveries are being made in the scientific community every day. As they discover and as they learn, humans are always, always learning. And we're constantly being surprised, constantly being amazed at all things. But God's not. God doesn't have to learn anything because he already knows that. No one teaches God anything because that would mean that he therefore knew something before he did not. God knows all things, and he knows them equally well. And as David pens these first five verses, I'm going to see the excitement and the joy of David building up into verse 6 where he says, Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high, I cannot attain unto it. And David reaches a point where he bursts forth in praise and admiration of God. And so what is our response to God's omniscience? Do we shudder in fear at the omniscience of God? Did the fact that God knows all things about you, does that bring fear to your heart? Or maybe like David, you rejoice. It's like, it's too wonderful for me. And the way you respond to the omniscience of God tells a lot about the condition of your heart. You see, sins and secrets, they rob us of the peace that God has for us in knowing that God knows all things. No mask, no disguise can fool God because he knows all things. And those in sin tremble at the omniscience of God because God knows all things. But the flip side is also true. Those in a pure heart and a clean conscience, they find rest in knowing that God knows all things. Injustices, God knows them. Burdens of your heart, God knows them. Giants you are facing, God knows them. And our prayers for those, wherever they may be, God knows them. And so again, what is your response to the omniscience of God? And that will tell you a lot about where your heart is this morning. God's omnipresence. Let's, be, let's keep reading in Psalms 139. The next few verses talk about God's omnipresence. Verse 7. Whither shall I go from thy spirit, or whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell... Behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me, and thy right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, even the night shall be light about me. Yea, the darkness hideth not from thee, but the night shineth as the day. The darkness and light are both alike to thee. For thou hast possessed my reins, thou hast covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. My substance was not hid from thee when I was made in secret, and curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Thine eyes did see my substance, yet being imperfect, and in thy book all my members were written, which in continuance were fashioned, when as yet there was none of them. How precious are thy thoughts unto me, O God! How great is the sum of them! If I should count them, they are more than the number of the sand. When I am awake... I am still with thee. In the first few verses, David is trying to imagine places where a person can be that God would not be. He says, maybe if I go farthest beyond the farthest star, maybe there I'll be away from God. But no, God is there. Maybe if I make my bed in hell, the lowest part from God, no, God is there. Maybe if I dwell in the depths of the sea, but no, God is there. And a even darkness cannot hide us from God because the darkness and light, 
they're the same to God. There's no difference for God. Imagine talking to Jonah after hearing his story. What would his thoughts be on the omnipresence of God? He tried to get away. He tried to run, and it did not work out so well for him. No matter where we are, God is going to lead us. He's going to hold us. He's going to protect us. And he's going to be there. And that's a promise that we have. Hildebert of the Varden was a priest, and he says this about God's omnipresence. God is over all things, under all things, outside all but not enclosed, without but not excluded, above but not raised up, below but not depressed, wholly above presiding, wholly beneath sustaining, and wholly within filling. See, God is above everything. He is sovereign. God's also beneath everything, sustaining life that we need every single day. And God is within us all, filling us with his presence. God is all around us, just as the ocean is all around the fish. There's no place a fish can go where the ocean is not. And that's the same as it is for us. There's no place we can be where God is not. God's presence is all around us. At this point in the psalm, David then shifts his knowledge to what God has of the individual. He says, God possessed our reins. Our reins are our emotions. They're the innermost part of us, the most secret part, the most intimate part of us. That's our reins. God is there. He knows that. He understands that. He, he is there. Even there, we cannot hide from him. Even before we were formed, as we're being formed, God was there. Before we even were, God was there. And once again, you can just see the excitement building up in David as he writes these words. Because in verse, in verse 14, he says, I will praise thee for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. It's just too much. As, as David sits there and reflects on the omnipresence of God and how he has formed each person with a very specific person, purpose, he just bursts forth in praise. Everyone is fearfully and wonderfully made. God makes no mistakes. And we were never hid from him even as we were being formed, because God was there doing the forming. And God knows what our lives will hold before we are born, because he is also there. You see, God's not limited to time as humans are, because time is a human device. God always was, he is, and he always will be. There's no separation in time for God. Verses 17 and 18 are David's response to God's omnipresence and how God cares for the individual. Verse 17, How precious also are thy thoughts unto me, O God! How great is the sum of them! If I should count them, they are more than the number of the sand. When I am awake, I am still with thee. God's thoughts towards David were precious thoughts. They were many thoughts. And they were constant. When he awakes, he's still there. This morning, what are God's thoughts towards you? We see David's response. What would God be thinking towards you? I believe to the child of God who's living a pure and clean life, we can claim Jeremiah 29, 11, For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace, not of evil, to give you an expected end. However, to the hypocrite and to the sinner, I believe those thoughts are very different. Separation from God. And if those are not dealt with, eternal punishment. And once again, the condition of our hearts dictates how we respond to God's omnipresence and his 
care for us as individuals. The sinner responds in fear and worry and anxiety because the fact that God is right with him at all times is not a very peaceful thought to the sinner as he is apart from God. But to the Christian, there is peace. There is rest. There is comfort in the fact that God is here. And I've told this story many times, but I, I love the story of my sister Joelle sleeping during the hurricane. As the winds are raging around and tearing the roof off of our house, she sleeps. Why? Because mom and dad were there. And she could rest. And I believe that's such a clear picture of where the Christian should be. No matter what the storms of life are raging around us, we can rest in the fact that God is here. He knows. He cares. And he's always present. God knows our future. He knows our situation. And he cares. Let's finish up the, the psalm. Verses 19 through 24, David is applying the omnipresence and the omniscience of God. Verse 19, Surely thou wilt slay the wicked, O God. Depart from me, therefore, ye bloody men. For they speak against thee wickedly, and thine enemies take thy name in vain. Do not I hate them, O Lord, that hate thee, and am not I greed with those that rise up against thee. I hate them with perfect hatred. I count them my enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. These verses show the value that David places in his relationship with God. We talked about that before, how the relationship David had with God it was open, it was real, it was meaningful. And we just see that again. David longs for justice to be wrought for those who are against God. He longs to see the glory of God shine forth. And that's what these verses are showing. David hated anything that was contrary to God. What is the Christian's response to sin? Another psalm of David Psalm 101 and verse 3, I will set no wicked thing before mine eyes. I hate the work of them that turn aside. It shall not cleave to me. Do we have that determination today to remain pure? Do we have that desire to grow and that longing that we'll be clean? I will set no wicked thing before my eyes. And Paul in 1 Thessalonians 5, 22, abstain from all appearance of evil. Our goal is not to get as close to sin as we can without sinning, but to abstain from even the appearance of evil. Like Joseph, he fled. He did not stay to see where it would go. He fled. He got out. Abstain from all appearance of evil. David hated sin. And he hated anything that was contrary to God. And the presence of God demands change. When we see the face of God, we will not return the same. The prophet Isaiah in his vision, he saw God seated on his throne with his train filling the temple. What was his response? Woe is me, for I am undone. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. God is holy. And when Isaiah was faced with the holiness and the presence and the awful trembling presence of God, he left a different man. You see, God cannot be anything apart from himself. He is always holy. 
He does not conform to a standard of holiness because he is the standard of holiness. And then God calls us to be holy as he is holy. Do we grasp that? The holiness of God and the purity of God, we are called to be like that, but we can't. And God knows that. He has installed Jesus Christ, that blood that cleanses us. To give you a glimpse of the of what holiness meant for a Jew, I have a, a quote from a rabbi here, Rabbi Joseph Telushkin. He says, God's world is great and holy. The holiest land in the world is the land of Israel. In the land of Israel, the holiest city is Jerusalem. In Jerusalem, the holiest place was the temple. And in the temple, the holiest spot was the holy of holies. That's what holiness meant to the Jew. And then we go to 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 9 where Paul says, What? Know ye not that your body is the temple? of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and are not your own. To the Jew, the Holy of Holies was the pinnacle spot of holiness. In the New Testament, that's our bodies. Do we know what that means? That our bodies, our mortal bodies, is a place that God chooses to now dwell in. We should be diligent and vigilant to keep our bodies very, very pure because they are the very place that God chooses to dwell in. David hated sin. He hated anything that was contrary to what God was about. And as a Christian, that should be us today. The children of God should despise sin, to keep ourselves pure so that our bodies will be a pure temple of the Holy Ghost and of the holiest God. I'm going to reread verses 23 and 24 in Psalms 139, the last two verses of the psalm. David says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. At this point in the prayer, this is present tense. This is now David saying, God, search me. God, know me, try me. The first few verses of the psalm, that was past tense. God already had searched David and all of us. He had already known us. But now this is present tense. David is open. He's willing to be examined. He's saying, God, come, search me. See if there be any wickedness, anything in me that's contrary to your nature, contrary to what you want your Christian to be. And we also saw in our Sunday school lesson, in Lamentations 3, verse 40, it says that we also need to search us. So God needs to search us, and we need to search ourselves. At the end of his prayer, at the end of Psalm 139, after David ponders the omniscience of God, the omnipresence of God, the fact that God formed every individual, the last line in verse 24, and lead me in the way everlasting. You see, David understood that he needed God's continual guidance. It didn't stop at verse 23 of searching and knowing. But God wants to see growth. He wants to see us progress. And thank you, Tony, for how you pointed out in this Sunday school lesson as well. God longs to lead us further than we can imagine, to heights we cannot obtain to on ourselves. And we see that in Psalms 23. We know that psalm well. He will lead us in green pastures, still waters, through the valley of the shadow of death. God wants to lead us 2 Peter 3.18, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's a command. Grow in grace. That's not a suggestion. That's a command. 
but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Oswald Chambers says, Growth in grace is measured not by the fact that you have not gone back, but that you have an insight into where you are spiritually. Growth in grace is not measured simply by not falling back, but by moving forward. And we should be able to see growth in our life from the last council service to today. Continuing growing. Growth in a Christian life is expected. Paul talks about moving from the milk of the word to the meat of the word. There's a growth. There's a movement. I have fought the good fight of faith. I have finished my course. Paul talks about the course. We're continuing in it. And Christian, the Christian is saved in an instant. That happened. But growth lasts a lifetime. Stagnant Christianity is so contrary to what God wants for us. And we see how God addresses that in Revelation chapter 3 with the church at Laodicea. They were lukewarm. They weren't falling away from God, but they weren't growing towards God either. They were somewhere in the middle, and God addressed them harshly. He says, I will spew you out of my mouth. He cannot stand that. God desires growth. And so I want to echo what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15 this morning. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. We are here this morning to look within, to allow God to search our hearts like David allowed God to search. And the purpose for that is that we may be pure, have a clean conscience that we can enjoy the communion service without partaking unworthily. As we followed David's prayer in, one, in Psalm 139, and we saw the astounding magnitude of God's omniscience, the fact that he knows all things about us. He knows all things in the world because he is there. And we saw the all-encompassing omnipresence of God, that he is everywhere. We cannot escape from him. God knows, God cares. And we saw how David hated sin. Anything that was contrary to God, he despised. And he held it at arm's length. Growth in grace. Growing rather than simply staying put. And so the council service, again, is not to simply go through the guidelines and to make sure we are following them in every aspect. But rather is to see the condition of our heart. Where are we at? Are we allowing God to search us? Our relationship with God, is it anywhere near what David had with God in that relationship? That was very open, clear lines of communication. It was a pure relationship. It was a deep and meaningful relationship. And I believe our relationship needs to mimic the one that David and God had. And are you growing? Is your relationship with God growing? And my prayer is that we can all enjoy the blessings of the communion service with a pure and clean conscience. And like David said in verse 23, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. Are we at that point this morning? Can you lay your life before God and say, God, search me. See if there is any wicked way in me. And if there is, are you willing to take care of it? To do what it takes so you can regain that relationship with God, similar to David had with God. We need to have humility to allow God to search, to allow God to know us, to try us. And then we need to have the, the confidence to then 
fix whatever problems God brings up. Shall we pray? Father God, thank you for who you are. Thank you for your omniscience. Thank you for your omnipresence. And Lord, as we sit here this morning, there is nothing that is hid from thee. You know all things. And you're also here, present. And we say thank you for being here. And Lord, we long for the relationship that you and David had. An open relationship, a real relationship. Father, would you give us all the humility to simply lay our lives before you and say, God, search me, try me, know me. And Lord, if there is anything in our life this morning, would you give us the boldness to take care of that, that we may be pure children of you, ready to enjoy the communion service. Father, dismiss us with your presence. Would you go with us? In Jesus' name, amen.